Good morning. It's going to be hard not to pick on you. We, have, we are finishing our uh, series we started 13 weeks ago, those of you who remember, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the great block of teaching, uh, Jesus, his largest discourse, most well-known block of teaching. So I want to say that to you if you're new. The life you've always wanted and believed somewhere is true. That's, you know, my way of talking about um, what Jesus is talking about in this very famous block of teaching. Now, by way just of, of remembering where we were, you might say Jesus starts this sermon, Matthew chapter 5, in an unqualified tenderness. All the way back to the, the, the blessings, right? We call the Beatitudes. And this is on purpose, right? He's giving this great block of teaching. He wants to say, listen, I want to open up a, a window for you. I want to I paint a vision for you. I want to paint a picture of the future. But the picture of the future that he's painting is not the sweet by and by. He's talking about the aspirations of how you or I can live in this life in a relationship um, with him, okay? But he's saying, I want to paint a picture, but I'm going to begin with an unqualified tenderness, that is to say, grace, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will enter the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And he has these nine blessings, and they're there on purpose because he's trying to say, you might say it's a statement of grace. He's saying, listen, the only way any of us can ever achieve or experience the life that God wanted for us is not to bootstrap our way there. It's not to, you know, fight, to work our way there. It's to receive God's grace. He fills us, and then we go and fill the world. So it starts with an unqualified tenderness, but it ends, I'm quoting a, a famous commentator here, with unqualified toughness. Right? Which, so I, I wanted to give you that before we get into it today to, to remember where we are. This is like a good parent who maybe, who's been a loving parent, but they're giving that, you know, I'm sending my kid off to college or, or, or maybe the night before his or her wedding, and you say, listen, I love you and I'll love you to the, to the, to the core of my being, but I also want to tell, I want to give you a, I want to give you some advice about life, right? I want you to make good choices. So he ends this sermon with an unqualified toughness. The Sermon on the Mount, this great teaching that is, we've been looking at, is not... Um, a philosophy for life. Now, sometimes it's used that way. People, whether they're Christians or not, it's sort of a, a you know, a la carte cherry-picking thing. You know, don't judge people and, you know, be generous and, you know, take the, take the speck out of uh, someone's eye, but first take the plank out of your own eye and, and, and here's how you need to treat other people and we need not to retaliate. And we use the Sermon on the Mount as sort of a philosophy for living, like it was uh, some sort of Buddhism or something. And I would say to you, although it's used that way, it's not intended that way. It's not a philosophy for life. It's an exclusive way to a quality of life, right? That's really what it is in a vital relationship um, with Jesus Christ. So it is really a warning, right? Think of it this way. Out of a loving heavenly father, we talked about those very words last week, who says, listen, I got this great life I want to give you. But I want to give you a warning, and I want you to um, respond um, positively to the opportunity that I've given you. So that's what we are. Matthew chapter 7, 
We're going to read a bunch of verses, so stand on your feet so you can pay attention. Verses 13 through 27, as I read Matthew 7, 13 through 27. Life, the real life that God is offering us here, a challenge from Jesus. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate. And narrow is the road that leads to life, and a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The obvious answer is no. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, what's going on on the inside is what's important. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, I think he's talking about the judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man or woman who built their house on a rock. The rain came down. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. You may be seated. In the history, throughout the history of the church, I don't know if you've asked yourself this question, but it has been asked, and I think that this passage begs it again. The question has been asked, can someone be a Christian and not be a disciple? Okay, that is to, a disciple meaning a committed Christian, a committed follower. Can someone be a Christian but not necessarily rise to the challenge of the Sermon on the Mount? where anxiety does not take over my life, where, I'm, where I exercise discernment but I'm not judgmental, where I have a control, self-control over uh, my, my eyes and my heart, where I'm generous with to my time and with my money, where I can de- take criticism and not let it overwhelm me, and on and on and on. Can someone be a Christian but not a committed follower of Jesus? And I'm, I'm sad to say I'm choking it out to say the answer to that question is, sadly, yes, you can. In fact, I think the church presently and in the past has largely been filled with people who are Christians but not committed followers, which is really what Jesus is getting at here. I don't think anybody's going to hell in this particular passage. The whole point of this passage, the entire one, not just the one we read, is an invitation to Christians to live a different quality of life. Okay, That's not what he's saying. But that Jesus wants to, in the strongest way he can, to encourage us, right, who are here listening. We're in 
the community of faith, let's say, to make the better choice. So the first thing I want to say as we conclude this, what I think Jesus is saying is, the life you've always wanted and dreamed somewhere is true is a choice to be made, right? Or a series of choices. That's why this, that, this opening paragraph, enter through the narrow gate and the broad road and the narrow road. Again, he's not talking about heaven or hell. He's talking about a quality of life. And he's saying, listen, the overwhelming majority of people, it was true 2,000 years ago and it's true today. The broad road, the mass population who are living for, let's say, what this world has to offer, who are going along with, you know, the, you know chasing after what the world's offering us, wanting to satisfy, find their greatest satisfaction, use their best energies, use their greatest resources, give their hearts to what this world says is successful. That's the broad road. And he's saying you can go down that road as a matter of fact if you don't make a conscious choice or a series of choices. It's a choice to be made. Then you will go down that road. And it's a road ultimately that is not going to lead to the quality of life. So those of us who sit in this room and may have sat in rooms like this forever and said, you know what? I've had it about up to here. I'm done with Christianity because when I'm honest and I look at what the Bible says, all these great promises, joy and peace and power and in the quality of living, I don't see it. So it must be a lie. It must be a fantasy. And I'd say, no, it's not a lie. It's not a fantasy. But it's not offered just because by virtue of the fact that you're on the planet, by virtue of the fact that you're in the church, it's within the church. It's a choice to be made. That's what he's talking about. It's a choice to be made. The destruction that's being warned to the disciples in this opening paragraph is a wasted life lived for small things and for personal ambitions only. Okay, That's what he's talking about. Recently, over the last, um, I don't know, a few weeks or, or more, I watched this um, um, documentary on... Um, some of the uh, presidents, the American presidents, and there was this sequence, and they're talking about um, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was a president in uh, in in the uh, 30s and 40s, and, and um, it was some of you know this story, but it was very interesting. And, and and Franklin Roosevelt lived in many ways a very charmed life. I mean, his he was he came from wealth. He went to all the best schools. He was from a famous family. His cousin was one of the you know one of the most well known men in America in the early part of the century. He was also a president, as you know, Theodore Roosevelt. And this guy had you know he was just one good turn after another. Everything he touched turned into gold. As a young man, the first one to serve this, and and he served as you know in the in the Secretary of the Navy. He was the governor. All these things happened before the guy was thirty five years old, and he was set up. And people were saying this guy is going to be, you know, the next president of the United States. And then right at the peak of his powers, of course, you know this story, he gets stricken with a disease, you know, an infantile paralysis, mostly for kids, for polio. And I mean, in almost no time, within a year, he's off, completely off the scene, and they've more or less written his political obituary, right? because of this disease. But the guy who's narrating this, one of the historians, why I'm telling you this story, is just an interesting image. He said, let me tell you something about FDR. Now, he's looking back. Many of you would know this. He said, you know, no one would have ever welcomed, no one would have ever asked for polio. But it not only ultimately helped FDR, it made FDR. He said, those braces on his legs formed a steel in his heart 
that helped him be the kind of moral leader, to have the kind of moral courage that he would have never had otherwise, right? Although polio closed a hundred doors, it opened one, right? And that one door changed the course of his life. That's what I think Jesus is saying here. He's not talking about heaven or hell. He's talking about a qual. Enter through the narrow gate. The word narrow here means hard. He's saying, listen, if you are just drifting along and your Christian faith is another box that you check, it's another piece of your life, but it is not the center of your life, well, then don't expect to live the quality of life that's talked about here because it's a choice to be made. Jesus uh, says these words, John 10, 9 through 10. I am the gate. Flat out talks about it, picking up on these very words. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So one thing you've heard me say and people like me say is, listen, Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior and you make that choice and that's true. I made it 30-something years ago. But he's more than that. He's not just the resource or 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 God's gift as the substitute sacrifice for your sin. He's not only died for your sins, He lived to show you and offer you a quality of life. They will come in and go out and find pasture. That's you and me. The thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. The thief, in a manner of speaking, is the guy, is the billboard on the other broad road, right? Go after it. Give your best energies, your best money, your best days, your best time at going after what the the brass ring of this world. Go for it, okay? The thief has come to steal and kill and to destroy. I have come, the gate that they might have life, now watch this, and have it to the full, okay? I'm not talking about, you know, some prosperity doctrine baloney. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the life that he just got done talking about. He's talking about a life that truly has the fruits of the Spirit, who truly has grace, who truly knows faithfulness, who truly knows goodness, who truly knows kindness, who has self-control, who has joy. That's what he's talking about. I've come that they might have life and they might have it to the full. Pop, contrary to popular imagination, all roads do not lead to God. I mean, this is what the Bible says. And all roads do not lead to the life that he offers. The Bible does affirm this, though, that all people are on a road, right? And where that road will end up depends on your choices. And what Jesus is saying to his friends, to his disciples, and I think by extension to you and me, is listen, I love you. Let's just, we, that's step one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God's grace, I love you. You don't have to ever think about that again. But now that that's stated, my son, my daughter, my disciple, listen, I don't want you to waste your life. It's about making choices. I am the gate and I would say this, the Sermon on the Mount, the whole thing, you've got to think about it because we're summarizing what we've done in 13 weeks or 12 weeks here. The Sermon on the Mount paints two, two kinds of lives. And that's why in these verses that I read, there's two gates, there's two trees, there's two you know, um, you know, kinds of prophets, there's two houses, right? And that's not just the ending. If you think back on the sermon, or read it again if you weren't here all these weeks, he's been doing this the whole way through. Remember chapter 6? He goes, well, now, how about people, how they, there's those kinds of people 
Even people in the church who say, you know, I'm going to go out there and do all my good deeds in front of other people. I'm going to give my money. I'm going to, I'm going to, my, my, my Christianity is sort of on my sleeve and I want people to see it and I give out in public and Jesus says, if that's the way you want to live your life, in other words, you're doing it for the pat on the back, he says, you have your reward. But you, he's offering the other path, he's saying to you guys, to the other path, I want you to say this. I want you to not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. I want you to do, give your good deeds and your devotion in secret because your father sees it. It's a different quality of life, right? There are two qualities of life. There are two paths being mentioned here. The first one is this. Can I think about your life here today? One path, the ultimate path that he's saying is out there, the broad path is this. I give God a good record, right? That's why I did all my deeds of righteousness in front of other people. I'm, 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 I'm sort of checking boxes. I'm, I'm, I have notches on my belt. I give God a good record in my life, and God in return owes me you know, something in return, right? That's why the guys at the end in verses 21 and following say, listen, Lord, on that day, here's my good. Haven't I done this? Haven't I done that? Haven't I performed miracles? I've given you a good record. Now I expect you to do something for me. And Jesus says to those people, you know, soberingly, I don't even know you, right? You don't even, you, you're not even on the right path. You've never been on the right path. Then there's those kinds of people, the other path, the one he's encouraging, I'm encouraging, where God, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, he gives you a good record. Think about that. He gives you a good record, a perfect record, out of grace. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will be filled, right? He's saying, listen, he gives you a good record, and out of gratitude, out of joy, you and I decide to give back to him and to the world a different quality of life, right? It's a choice to be made, but it is not a choice that takes all the joy out of life. That's what people say. Oh, to live for Christ, it's not a, it's not a choice that, that, that takes all the fun out of life. It's exactly the opposite, right? I have come to give life and life to the full. But you have to wake up because the world in the broad road, that's not what they're going after. They're looking for short fixes, for instant gratification. They're looking simply for a pat on the back when God has so much more to offer you. And the world's never going to give you uh, the quality of spirit. It's never going to deal, give you something to deal with the anxiety that it's in your life. It's never going to give something to deal with the greed and the lust that's in your heart. There's no power there. Self-control only comes as a gift from God. So one, it's a choice to be made or choices to be made. Second, this life is a will to be done. Okay? This second paragraph, 21 and following, is perhaps one of the more troubling ones in all of the Bible. You know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, in that day, you know, who says I've done all these good things, they're, they're going to be very surprised because those things are not going to yield the result they thought they were going to result. That's not only, he says, they will, not enter, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven at all. In fact, not only that, Jesus says at the end, think how sobering this is. He doesn't say, I'm not so happy with you. I'm not so sure I still want to know you. He says, I never knew you. I don't even know who you are, right? 
Because the life that God offers is a relationship. John 17, 3. And this is life eternal that they know and understand Jesus Christ, right? It's a, it's a relationship, right? We're off, we're, 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 the Christian life is, is an invitation to a relationship. It's in, in ultimately, if we're trying to work our way there, trying to give God a record, we're going to be soberly um, uh, uh, surprised because he's going to say, I don't even know who you are. You're not a member of my family. In the, in the Bible, you should think about these words, a will to be done. He says, listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now watch this. Only the one or the ones who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now you say, well, what does that mean? Because right here it says these folks are, they, they speak in God's name and they perform miracles in God's name. What is the will of God? And I would say this to you. Um, you know, um, I didn't grow up in the Christian church. I became a Christian as a um, college student. So I can remember there were many days where I always thought I was sort of an outsider, you know, that I'm, I'm sort of now I'm in. But I've been doing this now for, I, I think I'm a qualified insider now. But let me tell you what insiders often say, people who grew up in the church when it comes to the will of God. Not always, but they say, well, the will of God is this thing that's off there five years from now. Like, who am I going to marry? Well, who is God's will? Am I going to marry this woman? Are you going to marry this guy? Am I going to have, you know, uh, what kind of career will I have? What is God's will for my career? Will I ever, you know, um, be a missionary? Does God want me to be a missionary? Or does God want me to open this company? What is God's will? And we think of this as, as sort of, you know, the idea of where we're going to be five or ten or years from now. But in the Bible, almost in every case and including this one, the will of God is not a very mysterious thing at all. Right? The will of the what it means the will of God is to respond to the will of God is a revealed will. In other words, in, in, in the revealed will in the Old Testament, it was the Ten Commandments and the Torah. And if you wanted to know how to treat your parents, how to treat your spouse, how to treat your neighbors, how to, how to deal with covetousness in your heart, how to deal with many things, right down to the smallest of things, there was a chapter and a verse for it. And what it means to do the will of God is simply to respond to it positively. Here in this amazing sermon, as it says in verse 24 and following, therefore anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into... You want to know what the will of God is for my life and your life? We just got done talking about it in the last 12 weeks. And in those 12 weeks or in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, let me tell you what you're not going to find in there. Nobody's performing miracles. Nobody's casting out demons. There's nothing sensational about it at all. Doing the will of God is responding to the grace of God in a vital relationship with God and in the course of time, seeing the quality and character of the life of Jesus become the quality and character of your life. So that whether you are a doctor or a nurse or a student or an athlete or a business owner or whoever you are, you are doing God's will Right? It does what you do. The will of God has very little to do with what you do. It's how you do it. And whether you're a mom or a student or wherever you are, it's going into that world and, and managing your anxiety in a different way. It's managing your anger in a different way. It's managing your greed in a different way. It's it's becoming, as first John says, in this world, we are to live like Jesus. And it doesn't mean perfection, but the will of God is actually living the quality of life 
that God has offered us. That's what he's talking about. To know. Then he says, I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. That word in the Bible, Old Testament and New, is not talking about to be known. It's not about acquaintance or to be recognized. It's a word of intimacy. It's used often in the Old Testament, even talk about sexual intimacy. Adam knew his wife. But what it really means here is Jesus saying, the people that I know are people that are truly committed to a relationship with me. Matthew 12, look at these verses. Interesting verses of scripture. Sobering, Jesus making a point. Jesus was out doing his thing and his ministry, and he's, this is early on. He's like a rock star, very popular, and he's healing people. And he was at somebody's house, and there were so many people. They were in the house, they were around the house. It was amazing, right? And someone comes knocking on the door in verse, uh, Matthew 12, Verse 46, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, right, his mother and brothers, literally, his mom, and you, if you know the Bible, you know Jesus, after Jesus was born, there was others in the family. His mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him, right? Jesus, your mom and your brothers are outside. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? In pointing to the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So listen, you want to know what it to do the will of God? It's to be in a committed, vital relationship with Jesus Christ. It means practically speaking, right? If you're a husband, wife, mom, dad, business owner, all of those relationships are very important. But the most important relationship in your life, if you want to do the will of God, if you want to experience the life that you've always wanted and dreamed somewhere was true, your relationship with Jesus Christ needs to be the most important relationship, period. Your primary allegiance needs to be to him because it's only in a vital, dependent relationship with him that you are opening yourself up to the channel to experience the kind of change in your heart to deal with the issues that are mentioned in this passage, the quality of life, the character of life, that you can live the quality of life that he's offering us. That's why. And unless you are committed to that, you really know him, he is the central relationship in your life, then the life that is offered, it's not a judgment. It's not like God's saying, well, do it my way or, or else. He's saying, listen, this is the only way that you can experience this quality of life. It's a choice to be made. It is a will to be done. And lastly, as these last verses say, it's words to live by, right? It's words to live by. The thing about this sobering challenge, the two homes right at the end, it's kind of sobering. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, right, puts them into practice, builds their life upon them, okay, they're, gonna, they're going to withstand the storms of life. Here's another, here's another myth that's being busted in this passage. It says, you know, if I'm a Christian, some people say if you're a Christian, there's a lot of, you see this on TV sometimes, then the difficulties of life, whether it's relational challenges, financial ups and downs, you know, l- the loss of loved ones, you know, you name it, disease, all of these things, you will be protected from them. Is that what this says? It says, listen, 
Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man or woman who built their house on a rock. But the the rains came still. The streams rise still. It beats against that house, right? There's no person that ever lived, including the disciples, who this was the original uh, audience of this sermon. Jesus said, listen, the rains are going to come. The difficulties are going to come. The financial challenges are going to come. The health reversals are going to come. There's not a person in this room. If you live long enough, you're going to say goodbye to everyone that you in your life, right? This is reality. Those things will come. The question isn't, are they going to come? The question is, are you going to be able to withstand it? Well, it's, it's not only hearing his words. See, everyone in this passage is in church, verses 24 to 27. But half the people, or whatever the ratio is, when the storms come, when the difficulties come, when the job losses come, when the health diagnosis comes, it says they crumble and they fall because they heard the word, but they didn't build their life upon it, right? They didn't build their life upon it. The Sermon on the Mount has its equivalent in the Old Testament. And it's the great sermon of Moses, and I want to end with it, okay? Just reading a few verses. But many people would say, and if you were a good Jew, and, and you would, people would say that, that Jesus in many ways, we talked about this last Christmas, Jesus reenacts in his birth, his young life, and in his ministry the history of Israel because Jesus is the second Israel, and where Israel failed, Jesus, out of Egypt I called my son, right? As a manner of speaking. Jesus becomes Israel, or he becomes the servant of God. And when Jesus is sitting here doing on the Mount uh, on, uh, of Beatitudes in a manner of speaking, for those who have eyes and ears to hear it and see it, they're seeing the second Moses because Moses also had a great sermon on the Mount, And it was at the very end of Moses' life when after 40 years of leading the people through the wilderness who were in a manner of speaking, the entire people of God were Christians but not disciples. And as a result, God loved them. He cared for them. He rained manna from heaven for 40 years. But they never experienced the quality of life that he had offered them, right? So Jesus comes and Jesus is the second Moses and he says essentially the same thing. But listen now with, those, with that idea to these words of Moses, okay? Really what Jesus is saying. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 16. This is what Moses said to the children of Israel as they were about to enter the promised land. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult or beyond your reach. That's what Jesus is saying too. It's almost being, it's almost being sarcastic. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we might obey it. See, that's sometimes the attitude we have. We look at the standards and we look at the quality of life offered and we go, oh, this is ridiculous. Who's going to go up to heaven and get me the resources? Some people might be able to live this quality of life, but I can't. Nor is it beyond the sea, right? So that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we might obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so you might obey it, okay? But in this great sermon, Moses had just listed, you have to read it in the end of Deuteronomy, he said a list of all of these blessings. 
He said, you have no idea what God wants to do. Open wide your mouth and I'll fill it. I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you cannot contain. And on and on and on. In every kind of area of life. In, in, in family and in crops and all these blessings. And he says, but if you don't see the Christian life as a choice to be made or a will to be done and you're just going to follow the broad path, he says, then you're going to see the curses come. And then he says, listen, it's up to you. See, I set before you today. This is exactly what Jesus is saying in the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Not in order to gain his love, because you already have it, but in order to experience his quality of life. Right? That's what he's trying to say. Then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering. He ends this passage with a warning. The negative example is people who've heard the word of God, the words of Jesus, but refuse to make them a rule for their life. Right? Our lives depend on the seriousness with which we hear the words of Jesus, right? And when I say our lives depends, for the moment, I'm not talking about your eternal destiny, okay? That's important too. But uh, to, be, to, to, to have your sins forgiven, to be a Christian, it's not my sermon today, you need to trust, put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, right? It's an, it's a, it's, it's an, it's an exercise of trust and it happens in a moment, and it's real, okay? That's not what I'm talking about, although that's incredibly important. But Jesus is talking to people who've already done that, and he's saying, now that you know the grace and forgiveness of God, now I want to offer you a whole different quality of life. I want you to be able to see that what I have lived, the reason the story of Jesus is told in the Gospels is not simply so we can rush to the end and see him die on a cross, the way that he lived his life, right? He was the God, the son, but he was also a human being. And it's so hard for us to understand this great theological truth, but it's on purpose so that we look at his life, as 1 John says, in this, in this world, we are to live like Jesus. And we do that when we decide and understand that it's a choice to be made. What road are you on? It's a will to be done, right? Out of vital union with Jesus Christ. And it's words to live by, right? I think coming to church is important. I'm glad you're here today. But of all the things that you need to do, I'd say it's one of the less important things you do. Not, compl- not unimportant, less important things you do on your march toward becoming a follower of Jesus. And if you'd say, gee, I thought this was on the top of the list, it's time to rethink that, okay? It's time to rethink that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for everyone in this room. And Lord, we thank you for these, these words, this challenge uh, that has stood the test of time and continues to um, provoke thinking and living. And we just want to say to you, Lord, that we are uh, 
We are your humble servants. And Lord, there's nothing we can do to, to gain your love. It's all a gift, and we receive it um, gratefully. But we long, everyone in this room, Lord, to actually experience more the life of the life that you've offered us. Help us to, to understand, Lord, that it's a choice to be made. It's choices to be made. And it's a will to be done. Your will, your words in our lives and obeying them through the power of your spirit and its words to live by. Help us, Lord, not just to be hearers of the word, but to practice them, to build our lives on them, that we might know you and experience the life we've always wanted and believed somewhere was true. In Jesus' name, amen.